Anyone who's been married for some time is going to tell you that changes and transitions are part of that journey. And no matter what transitions you've encountered in your marriage, Focus on the Family is here to give you hope and encouragement. I'm John Fuller, and this is the Loving Well Podcast. And I'm joined by the very couple who head up our marriage department here at Focus, Dr. Greg Smalley and his wife, Erin. Uh, you've been married for, what, 26 years, I yeah. think? And you've told so many stories on our broadcasts and in other places. But let's go back to those early years, because there were some things that you learned about each other that kind of caught you off guard. Like? I didn't realize how absolutely committed we both were in our way. Hmm. And it created a lot of, <laughs> a lot of conflict on Not our honeymoon. committed to serve each other, but committed to getting your way. Yeah. Yeah, And it created quite a bit of conflict on our honeymoon. My dream was to find we were able to go to Hawaii, had some friends that had a place there. We had frequent flyer miles, so we went there real cheap, didn't have any money. I wanted to swim in one of those beautiful Hawaiian waterfalls yeah. every day as I asked Aaron, could we go find one today? We ended up doing something else until the last day, and we finally set off to find the waterfall, found the perfect one late in the afternoon. This is it. I mean, we leave the next day. I go tearing off into the water. I don't hear Erin behind me. I turn around, and she's reading some sign. I don't know what she's doing, but she's not swimming, and we have like a half an hour before we have to turn back. <laughs> yeah, just take one guess what the sign said. I can't. It It said no swimming. Well, of course, what we quickly learned is that I am very rule-oriented, and someone else was not rule-oriented. <laughs> so did I you get caught? Who. Did you get any trouble, or did you oh, prove that I, firstborns are just too uptight? I could not get her into the water to get caught, to get in trouble. <laughs> A huge fight breaks out. Just as I'm trying to convince yeah. her that we need to swim, because this was it. This is our last opportunity, yes. and I, like a moron... I was so mad at the end of this fight that I said, fine, if this is how you're going to be, this honeymoon is ruined for me. Oh, mm. and, nice. Uh, as you can imagine, she uh, didn't like that. Yeah, that worked so well for our last night on our honeymoon. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, we, we had many long, opportunities. Long, cold flight back, no doubt. Yeah, we had lots of opportunities yeah. to learn to, to work through that. So really learning mm-hmm. how to how to work through conflict in a productive healthy way was that was the big struggle for us and thankfully we had good people in our life that taught us how to do that yeah mm-hmm. and we we had the same kind of thing it was i remember time and again i would apologize to dina and she would make me say for what and it's like well i don't know exactly but i'm sorry and she would, would kind of just demand no you've got to say what you're sorry for it's yeah. not a real apology and then then it, it got around to and and if you have to ask me what you did wrong, then your heart's then, not ready. Yeah, then I mean I shouldn't have to tell you what I'm feeling. Oh my word! I mean I didn't. She's actually right. So <laughs> yeah. You were wrong. All right. Well, we'll we'll stop here and we'll take this offline. Okay? Can we please take this offline? Um, well, someone who's well known to focus on the family is Pastor Ted Cunningham, and he is the pastor of Woodland Hills Family Church in Branson, Missouri. He is humorous, he is insightful, biblical. He's written a number of books on the subject of marriage. He speaks as well about the topic. And here he is in a conversation with Focus President Jim Daly, um, talking about this very thing, transitions, expectations, uh, ways that newlywed couples have to deal with change, especially with family members. 
You had a story in this chapter in Ready to Wed about a dad who was at the moment and decided he didn't want to give his little girl away. Well, he wouldn't answer me. I mean, that, that what happened? Yeah, he goes, I go, who gives this woman to be married to this man? It's what almost every pastor says <laughs> in some variation. And he was silent. And I thought, I tapped on the mic. This isn't like, rehearsal. Yeah, this is the wedding day. <laughs> and what's funny is we practiced it the day before, so I don't know what happened. I asked the second time, and he just stared at me. And I thought, okay, he's verklempt. He's, he's caught up in the moment. Let's give him a moment. Because I think one of the worst things a pastor can do is step on moments like that. Just yeah. let those moments go. And, but the third time I asked him, he said, I go, who gives this woman to be married to this man? He responded with, I will not give her. And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> so now this is getting a little uh, yeah. chilly. He said, but I will share her. Oh, man. And I looked over at the groom, and I said, I'm sorry, but the wedding is over. And, you know, he's got this look in his eyes, like, what, what is going on? How are we going to manage that? I just paused for a minute. And, you know, me, my big thing is I step on everything with humor. So I tried to make a joke out of it. But, I mean, the implication of sure. that statement for the next 10 to 20 years is what I wanted to address. I, I, I had to hear, you know, that moment when you're sitting in the exit row and are you willing and able to perform the duties of the exit row? You can't nod. Right. They res- they require that you say out loud and audible, yes. Right. And I have to hear that from the dad. I go, because I when a mom comes up to me at a wedding and says, I don't feel like I'm losing a daughter today. I feel like I'm gaining a son. I tell her the same thing every time. Nope, you're losing a daughter. <laughs> it's time for you to back away. Well, that, that's it, the leaving part. When you think part. about it, that's completely right and logical. But you also understand the heart of the mom yeah, who, who wants who's to gonna keep going to be writing it. in after right. this. Uh, <laughs> right. But right. How, I can't leave everybody hanging. How, how did you address he, that with the at, dad? I did make a joke. I made a light out of it. But then I said, I've got to get the audible. I have got to hear. Right there. Right there. And yes. Did he finally say it? He said her mother and I. Yeah, he did okay. say her mother and I. But I wanted to go on to a long Did you follow sermon. up later, like after the ceremony, and say, let me talk you through a little bit of what was going on? Well, this may shock you, but it found its way into the message of the ceremony, uh, oh, okay. the difference between giving and sharing. <laughs> you were that quick on it. I had to be. I just yeah. am like, listen— you know, for you two to become one, because I'm this specific with guys. Yeah. Listen, if you've called your mom every day to share the highs and lows of your day for the last two or three years after work, listen, you, you can't do that anymore. Part of leaving is this is now the new lady you come home to and share the highs and lows of your days with. Yeah. I had a mom come up to me through premarital counseling and through what's in this book and all the examples of le- the leaving part. We haven't even really talked about cleaving. The leaving part. And a mom came up to me at a wedding and said, how dare you tell a son not to love his mother? And I went, <laughs> well, first of all, would you ever hear that? I don't care what pastor. You would never hear that out of a pastor's mouth. I said, I never told your son that. Here's part of the problem. You weren't in that premarital session. I told your son, don't call you every day. But she interpreted that as he's disconnected from me. He doesn't love me. And then you have to walk through all of that with, no, this is actually love. This isn't hate. But I need to um, press you on behalf of those moms that aren't, they're not seeing it that way. Tell me why, spiritually. Tell me why. I shouldn't expect the same relationship with my son, even if he has married, or my daughter if if she's married. Why can't I still have the same relationship? So here's what I tell couples. You need to separate physically. So you need to move out if you're living with your mom and dad. If if you're still in the basement with Star Wars bedsheets, we need you out of there, okay? It's time to get married. You need to separate financially. 
I hear couples all the time, I want my parents to take our relationship seriously and not treat us like children. Well, one way you can do that is don't call home for money. Get a second job before you ask your parents to bail you out. So you're separating physically, financially. You're separating emotionally. The problem, if if you have a tough day at work and you get in the car and your first person you're going to call is your mom, not your wife, that's a problem. That's going to prevent you from the second half of Genesis 2.24, the two becoming one. Yes. The very definition of Genesis 2.24, the picture we have is the bond between a husband and a wife is to be stronger than the bond between a parent and a child, period. It, it has to be separate. Then you're separating uh, emotionally, you're separating relationally. And, and I tell couples, if those don't work, if you can't separate physically and financially and emotionally, you and this one really gets me in trouble, you may need to separate geographically. Yeah, that'll help accomplish the others. It will. Yeah. You may not be able to live two miles from your parents if they're stopping by all the time, if they're wanting to catch up on your life. You know, daily. These are the boundaries that need to go in place if you're going to truly leave. Because we're talking about leaving. We're not talking about just moving. We're mm-hmm. talking about leaving that relationship to start a brand new relationship, which is the cleaving part. Well, Ted Cunningham has some great insights. And Greg and Aaron, you've got a child who's married. So Ted spoke about when that happens, when your child gets married. He or she has to leave home. So talk a little bit about the transition, what that was like for you and how you encouraged your daughter. Because I think it's pretty awesome what you did. It's so funny because they actually went through Ready to Wed with some of our good friends. This is your daughter and her now husband. So Taylor and Caleb went through Ready to Wed with some good friends of ours as their mentors, walking them through that. And of course, in there, we talk about, you know, you need to leave and cleave and take a leave of absence of some sorts. And so they knew that we knew that that's what they were supposed to do. And so it's a little awkward, but we were very consistent with, you know what, we know this is healthy for your marriage. We love spending time with them. They're such a great couple. They're such great people individually. But we also knew that it wasn't the time for them to be coming on family vacation with us within the first year of their marriage. We set some clear boundaries. We love you, but you know, you're not invited. We want you to stay home and and really focus on strengthening this new family of yours, mm-hmm. this new marriage of yours, taking care of it. And I think that is such a healthy thing for parents to recognize it's not anything personal. The healthiest thing you can do is support the new marriage. Yeah. We really tried to uh, strengthen their new identity as a couple. For example, when, you know, if I was to text them, you know, I, I would include both of them on a text. I would refer to Taylor as, you know, her last name. When I'm talking to Caleb, my son-in-law, about Taylor, mm. I'm referring to Taylor as his wife. Not your daughter. If if we're yeah. asking them something, we, we ask them both. So I think that there's ways that we can really encourage that identity and make it clear, this is your wife. We'll always love our daughter, but this is your wife now. That's your top priority. Yeah. You guys having a strong marriage, that's what you need to keep working on. That's good. I, like I said, it's really awesome how you handled that and what freedom there is for that new couple to not feel obligated to meet your expectations. You've already said what they are. 
So uh, hats off to you for the wisdom on that. And uh, we'll maybe get back to Caleb and Taylor in about 25 years and see how it's working. Yeah. <laughs> how did we do? Yeah. Grade us. Yeah. We, maybe we're not doing that great. All right. So one yes. of the most important aspects of a newlywed couple's life is physical intimacy. Uh, Dr. Julie Slattery is a licensed psychologist and an author on this topic of sexuality. And she has a passion to help couples work through the tricky aspects of this part of life. Here's a conversation that Focus President Jim Daly had with Julie. You know, all three of us are parents, and uh, I'm sure you, like me, uh, have discussions with your kids. You know, as Christians, uh, we want you to know about physical intimacy, but we want you to treasure it. It's a gift from God when you get married. But talk about that young person right now, the 15, 16-year-old, five, 10 years from now when they get married, and they've been faithful to that. They've waited for this great treasure, this gift from God. Mm -hmm. And the night comes, and uh (laughs) uh-oh, it either didn't measure up, it was full of disaster, clumsiness. Mm -hmm. They told me to wait for this? What was so great about this? It's embarrassing. Um Talk about that and how they need to maybe think that through before their wedding night. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a course like Ready to Wed is going to give you some great tools, meeting with someone in premarital counseling to ask you the difficult questions. That's definitely going to help. But even so, I you know, I think this is something maybe I've shared on a previous broadcast, but it's an analogy that really helps me and helped me through these years in marriage was to think about Uh, the physical intimacy in marriage as a gift like the gift of Legos. And we we all have boys, and we all have Legos in our house. Um, But the gift of Lego is... Ouch, I just stepped on one. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There you go. That's the gift. That's what it feels like. But if you can think about the fact, if you go to a store and you buy a box of Lego and you see on the outside of the box this elaborate castle or Batmobile, and you open up that box (laughs) and you think you're going to find that completed project, you're going to be really disappointed. But the beauty of Legos and the reason why they never end up in garage sales is because this is a a gift, a toy that grows with you and you create, you learn to be more creative. And the gift of physical intimacy in marriage is very similar. If you expect that in the first year of marriage, you open up the box and it's immediately going to be fulfilling and what you've been told to expect all these years, you may be very discouraged. But if you can say, hey, you know, this is the very beginning of an adventure that's going to last, Lord willing, 40, 50, maybe 60 years, and we're just starting. We don't know what we're doing, but we're going to figure it out together. That is the right mindset. And um, and just to share a personal story, when my husband and I got married, our honeymoon, without going into detail, was a disaster (laughs) in this area. Uh And um, I can remember being so disappointed, and he was too. And we were in this little cabin in the woods of Tennessee, and we were both at the point of just tears and frustration and anger at each other. And I had just very negative thoughts going through my mind about my husband at that point. And I looked over across the cabin, and Mike was there with his Bible open and just praying. And he came over to me a few minutes later and just put his arm around me and just said, you know, honey, we've got our whole lives to figure this out. Mm. And I think back on that moment, you know, 21 years ago, 
And his attitude towards the discouragement we felt was the most important thing that happened on our honeymoon. If everything else was not great, his attitude that I'm going to go to the Lord first and then I'm going to encourage my wife and have a long-range perspective builds a, a safety and a confidence in him that has just been there for two decades now. Oh, it's now. a beautiful foundation to build on. I really appreciate Julie Slattery's transparency on this topic. It is so important to address it and to be honest about it and candid, but so few couples can get there. And Greg and Aaron, you, you counsel a lot of couples. You've encountered people who are struggling in this area of sexual fulfillment. How do you help them process that and, and get through some of the hurdles? I remember one couple in particular, they hadn't been married that long, but they were in graduate school. He was finishing up you know, some advanced degree. And the issue was, is that all of a sudden the wife started to realize that he didn't seem to be interested Mm. in sex. And of course, she instantly jumps to, well, it must be me. He's not attracted to me. Is he into porn? I mean, just her mind starts to race, which got them into conflict which led them, but she couldn't. To me. She couldn't address the topic with him and say, "So, what's the deal?" Well, the problem was that that's where she went. What's oh, okay. wrong yeah. with you? What's do you not find me attractive? Yeah. Are you seeing someone else? I mean, it's just those kinds of things. When they came in to talk, it was really important for them to do two things. One was to give each other the benefit of the doubt, mm. assuming that there's a deeper issue going on. Instead of jumping to the conclusion that it's me, he's not attracted to me, yeah. or that he must have met someone else, or he's into porn, to go and talk to him from a place of curiosity. So what what I had them practice was having this type of conversation, just saying, huh, honey, I've noticed over the past several months that just we're, we're not as intimate as we've been, and I'm I'm not sure what to make of that. Before I jumped to some conclusions, but I'd love just to better understand that. Mm. And what it did is that it didn't create the defensiveness from him. Yeah. yeah you've that, got to have the safety to have the conversation right. without mm-hmm. judgment right. and anger and emotion. Mm-hmm. And curiosity is something that's very safe. Mm. Yeah. And exactly what he's saying, so many couples don't talk about sex because they maybe came from a family of origin that they didn't talk about sex. And so all of a sudden they're married and, you know, they're supposed to suddenly experience this amazing um, sex with each other. And the bottom line is it takes time. I love Julie Slattery's perspective on it because she talks about it's step by step, build it like a Lego set, block by block. And it's, it is creating a place that's safe, that we can have honest conversation about my fears, about, you know, what I'm starting to believe about you, put it out there, talk about sex. So to have them talk, what was really great is when they got past the defensiveness and it felt safe, he was able to begin to verbalize that he really, really was feeling stressed because of some upcoming key exams that would determine if he was going to get his degree or not. And he was actually feeling very failed. So the more stressed he felt, the more failed in his mind he was, that just carried right into the bedroom. Hmm. That's what was going on for him. It had nothing to do with her. Getting them to talk, to understand that. you, Mm -hmm. It was so cool to watch her instant compassion. Yeah. When she realized it's not me, it's not that you're interested in someone else. Wow, you're feeling... I mean, he was afraid. 
that he wasn't going to well, make then it, it. Then I'm sure she stepped into, you know, how can I help? Right. What can I do? How can I care for you? That's why it's so important to turn towards each other and have these conversations. Well, as we've talked about sexuality, it is one of the 12 secrets for a lifelong romance in the book by Greg and Aaron called Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. Uh, we have that available here at Focus on the Family. Uh, if you'll make a generous donation of any amount to the ministry today, we'll send a thank you copy to you. And uh, our website is focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. Now, good communication is essential for a strong marriage. And we're going to hear a portion of an interview with Bill and Pam Farrell. They've been on our radio broadcast a number of times talking about marriage. And here's a part of the conversation they had with Jim Daly and me about how to communicate well with your spouse. When we get married, we don't realize that we've married somebody very different than us and that we have to learn new communication skills. Right, because we women, we like to travel from topic to topic to topic in part because we want to make those emotional connections to the people and things that we love the most. And that's why we're so great at multitasking, which is very different than men compartmentalizing and mm. sticking to one thing at a time. But in your first five years of marriage, how do both the man and the woman learn to complement this rather than critique it and criticize it? Mm. How do it's, they really hard. take a deep breath? Because <laughs> it's it, hard. it probably creates the greatest amount of conflict. Yeah. Because you're not communicating and you start shutting down. Like I remember we're sitting in our living room. We're having a nice conversation. And I said something. I, to this day, I still can't tell you what it is that I said. But I got this incredible reaction from Pam. She just jumped out of her chair, ran to our bedroom. You don't love me anymore. Slam the door. <laughs> Look back to see if he'd followed me. <laughs> Sounds like Pam remembers what you said. <laughs> and Jim, I'm thinking, what, what, first of all, what just happened? And then what am I supposed to do? Like, my dad never told me marriage was going to be like this. Mm. One guy said, yeah, run, Forrest, run. <laughs> and, and I was where a lot of guys are. We're like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. Like, my wife just gave this emotional outburst. Uh, and in my mind, I'm thinking, do I follow her into the bedroom and try to repair this? Or should I sit here in the living room and outlast this behavior that looks really bad to me? Mm. Maybe she just needs space. <laughs> right. And I'm totally guessing. Mm. And I, you're wrong either way. Exactly. I learned that lesson. Exactly. One time I stayed back. Why didn't you come in and talk with me? And the next time it was, why'd you come in? I'm still angry at you. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy's going, oh, man, this is a lose-lose oh. proposition. Rock, hard place, yeah. Well, and as men, we need to learn that women process. They, they don't always need answers. They process. Yeah. And they're connecting life. It's one of the main ways that women build trust is they connect their life to the person they think is important. Yeah, we call it the, do you need to fix something or is it a uh-huh conversation? And nice. what that means That's is, good. oh, uh-huh, oh, baby, yeah, uh-huh. You know, we just want okay. empathy and sympathy. Can I speak for the guys for just a moment? Please. Because like, like when we get married, Save us. women think guys know this because- all our girlfriends know. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I'm just upset. I just need to talk. Oh, okay, you just go ahead. As guys, we don't know that. No, we don't have that compartment built yet. <laughs> we need to be told. Yeah. And and so many women get offended. Well, well, if he really understood me, he wouldn't need to be told. He would just know. Yeah, and well, I and tell wives all the time. No, just <laughs> tell him. Just tell him yeah, what yeah. you need. Because <laughs> she's thinking it's a measure of how much you love me and care yes. for me that you would know this without yes. me having mm -hmm. to describe it to exactly. you. Exactly. You should and just he's read going, my mind. <laughs> See, but as guys, like, like Jim, if we're friends growing up and you're all upset like that, I just tack you to the ground and give you a noogie until you're doing better. Right, right. 
No, I can't true. bring that skill into marriage. Right. <laughs> right. It doesn't work well. It's called being arrested. Yeah, that's right. Hey, listen, uh, you know, we're talking about that. Women can struggle uh, to understand the way your husband thinks and and his ego. I think on the if it's trying to communicate with your wives, if that's the male shortcoming, on the female side, she may not fully understand how much a guy needs to be appreciated. That's right. Yeah. And that's one of our great weaknesses. Pam, how can you help a, a young married woman understand the ego needs appropriately of her husband. Right, because it's right on the surface. You know, I <laughs> discovered really early in our marriage, we were we were at a party, and it was, you know, like a backyard barbecue kind of thing. But there was music playing, and Bill's like a really good dancer. And so he's, you know, whisking me around the floor, and he does this big dip move, super romantic and all. We're newlyweds, you know, everybody's staring at us. It's wonderful. Then he drops me on the floor. Drops you? <laughs> yeah. Dropped and so I'm laying on the floor. floor. I'm like, why am I on the floor, honey? <laughs> and he said, I just ripped my pants. And I, I got up, and I looked, and I'm like, I spun him around. Look, Bill just ripped his pants. And I thought it was funny. All of our friends thought it was funny. Bill did not think it was funny. And um, it was really, really, really quiet ride home. And I realized that day, probably not a good idea to criticize your husband in public. It's not even really a great idea at home when nobody's around. But it's a really bad idea to make him look bad in public. Mm. And it's that whole male ego thing, you know. And one of the things that a newlywed wife can do to do herself a favor is to help her husband look good to the people that matter in his life. You know, help him look good to his boss and his family and, you know, his friendship circle and those buddies on the ball field. You know, it's okay to brag on your man. Now, uh, now Pam, a, a lot of women, I think, I'm just sensing it, may be cringing at that because it oh, just yeah. feels phony. Right. And it doesn't, you know, man, if he, if he doesn't know who he is as a man, how am I going to help him as his wife? Mm. But what you're saying is so true. We're kind of fragile, aren't we, us guys? They are. I've raised three sons. They are much more fragile than you think you know these three strong athletes they look like they could be superman any of them um but their hearts are still tender like a little boy's you know bringing you a little flower when he's five years old looky mommy and if you don't give him that attention he's gonna be crushed that's what's deep 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 down in the heart of your man is that sweet spirit and i think that's why men appreciate wives and why they want to get married to a wife is that somewhere deep down there's this wonderful little boy um, that he loves when his heart is cherished and and that's why God gave women to men in marriage is that's our special role. I'm so grateful for Bill and Pam Farrell. They are approachable and they're the real deal. They are so authentic and they have some really good experiences in their background that lead them to be so helpful when it comes to some of those early conflicts and the ways that we deal with communication in our relationship. Greg and Aaron, you encourage couples, a lot of couples, through your writing and speaking and counseling. What do you say to those who who you deal with, and it's pretty obvious, they are not communicating well. They're really struggling with this. I think it's so important to help them to understand that when you use the word communication, that it means so many different things. When someone says, I just want to learn to communicate better, 
we, we need to understand that there are lots of important conversations that they need to be having, mm-hmm. and it's helpful then to to point those out. For example, Aaron and I need to be able to talk through problems. That's a whole different type of communication. We need to manage our family of four kids and the busyness of having two jobs and all of that. So there are times where we need to talk through schedules and to-do lists and who's going to pick up which kid and go to the store to hit that. That's an important type of conversation. We need just at times to, to not get super deep and vulnerable and sort of just have some small talk to where we're just talking about the day and what happened and look, look at the weather. Is it okay to just sit at a meal and not talk? Absolutely. There's times where we're worn out. Now, is this an introvert talking? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, wait a minute. Yeah. It's kind you of know, baiting y'all on we, that one. We will sit in a restaurant and look around and see couples who are just staring at each other. Yeah. And we're like, we don't ever want to become that couple. We always want to be curious about what's going on in the inside. Greg listed three types of communication, but the, the fourth one that we see that couples don't pursue and it doesn't happen unless we intentionally pursue it is heart talk. And when we're dating, when we're engaged, we go to those deep heart levels easily, more easily. And we pursue each other because we want to know everything there is inside. You know, what are your dreams, your fears, your hopes? And then as we get stressed, our hearts maybe shut down from conflict or miscommunication. Then we stop being curious and we stop pursuing that deep heart connection. Research actually shows that the average couple in the U.S. spends about four minutes a day having that deep intentional heart talk. And the great news is the research shows that take it to 10 minutes a day and 10 minutes of just deep heart connection, and it's going to take your marriage to a whole new level. I just want to repeat something that she said because it is so critical to understand this. Administrating your marriage working through conflict, even small talk, those will happen naturally. You really don't have to force that for the most part. What she's saying is that we have to be intentional and go after our inner lives. And and that's what we can do sitting around the table. Yeah. And a great easy way to do this, just go Google conversation starters for couples, and you're going to find hundreds of great conversation starters that will just facilitate having those deeper level types of conversations. And you've got a list that we're going to post on the marriage website, uh, and we'll link over to that from focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. We've talked about it before. I really want to just say that is a, a great list. You and I were talking one time at lunch, and and I wrote down, i got to get this list, and I actually used it nice. uh, like the next date night we had. You may be hurting right now. Maybe what Greg and Aaron have talked about is something that you can't even start to attain to. I mean, seriously? Talk? Hard talk? Really? We're here to help. Focus has caring Christian counselors. We've got great resources. And I just want to say uh, we're a phone call away. So call 800-A-FAMILY, 800-232-6459 if you're really in a tight spot and you don't know where to turn, um, we'll schedule a time for you to talk to one of our counselors. We do have a lot of terrific resources. That list I mentioned, Greg and Aaron's book, Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, 12 Secrets for a Lifelong Romance. Um, You can go through this by yourself or ideally with your spouse or maybe even a small group. Again, the place to find all of this help beyond our phone number is focusonthefamily.com 
slash loving well. And next time on Loving Well. And the truth is, you know, when you're busy, you forget to do that five second kiss, 10 second kiss, 30 second kiss. That is that passion. And usually we do those things when we feel a certain way. But instead to say, I'm going to do that behavior. And then, wow, the feeling will follow. A fun conversation with Arlene Pelican about loving your spouse in the busyness of parenting. You won't want to miss that. And I'm John Fuller. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Loving Well podcast from Focus on the Family.